Hey, it's Rochelle and Carter with the Anything But Quiet Time podcast. And right now, hope yeah. is what is on demand. A lot of hope on demand. You know, I, I know that there are different types of entertainment out there on demand. Actually, it's called on demand, isn't it? Yeah, for a lot of platforms, absolutely. But if you had hope on demand, which... There you go. It feels like a little bit demanding, doesn't it? No. I need it now. Well, you're demanding, but you have it available. It's like a buffet. You have it all right there at HopeOnDemand.com. We're glad to be a part of of that. Um, and so videos, uh, articles, anything that, that you need. There's a, a ton of Christian artists talking about what they've gone through in life, and it's very encouraging. Even a connection to this podcast. Uh, and I, it, we've mentioned that in this new year, 2020, there's a presidential election coming up. Mm-hmm. We already know how difficult it was the last one that we went through in terms of just relationships with others because we love these folks. And then we find out we may differ on certain topics and then our faith gets involved because a lot of what motivates how we feel and talk in these conversations is this is a belief this is linked to how I feel about God. And so then it becomes so yeah. personal. Have you ever uh, kind of made fun of somebody, at least in your mind, of, mm. I can't believe they're arguing about politics and that petty. And then all of a sudden, somebody says something about what you believe. Yeah. And like you said, it's maybe connected to God. And then you're like, well, but <laughs> hold on a minute. Right. You actually believe that? Yeah. And then you find yourself <laughs> doing that same thing. Yeah. It's really important in those moments to take a beat. Yeah. And I am the worst at taking a beat because my husband's like, well, just don't talk. What? What? Have you known nothing about me all these years? Let's, let, I, That's I've, what I do. I've done this with Rochelle before. I talk. Let's see if we can take five seconds. No, I can't do that. I'm already going to. No, I, I've lost. It's already. Let's not even waste. Look time. how much you're talking and I haven't even said it. Go yet. <laughs> it's amazing. I think I've proven my point. That's what you've proven but the point. Take a beat. And I, it's also been very helpful to to believe that in these moments where we find everybody so passionate in political conversation, um, that means we all care a lot. That's true. You know, people want the betterment of of other people of the United for the, States for the most part. Yes. And just trying to put it in perspective that seems to help. And right now already you're thinking, well, that's true. But mostly what about dot, dot, dot. <laughs> no, no, take a beat, take a beat, take a beat. So one of the things uh, on Hope on Demand is a Bible reading plan. You can mm. uh, take a, a portion of it. You could do the whole thing. You could literally read through the Bible in a year just by going off of the passages that is available each and every day. And one of the things that I've been going through lately are the words of Jesus trying to understand that Jesus is we just have we've americanized Jesus quite a bit over the last well couple hundred years yeah and his culture then was just so radically different and things that he says that you you read verbatim and then you're like man that worries me or i don't understand that is because he was referring to things in that culture 2000 years ago like it's kind of like how I feel a little bit when I hang around Carter and people his age. <laughs> when you reference things that are relevant to your pop culture we're, time we're frame We're about 12 years whatever. apart, so if I start talking about the early to mid-90s on things for kids, and you were <laughs> graduating high school by then. Yeah, I was actually. This is not even a joke. So Carter was the same age as the kids that I would watch in my Sunday school class, my two- and three-year-olds. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so I'd watch, we'd watch Veggie Tales and all this fun stuff. You would have been in that age category. God, if I, I would have been back, Miss Rochelle. If I could go back, that is a Sunday school teacher. It's always yes, Miss or Miss Mr. Rochelle. First name. If I could go back and get in my, uh, if my consciousness in my two year old body and my parents take you to that, me to that nursery. Right. I would get the dirtiest diaper I possibly That's could have. That's not true. That's exactly what I would have done. That's horrible. <laughs> the wor- the, you were just talking about reflecting on the words of Jesus. So oh, please yes. get there. Let's go there. Come Let's on. go there. No, absolutely. So uh, I've been going over <laughs> in the book of Matthew, and you might be familiar. There's so many parables, and I know that um, it's a very, it's a nice quiz-worthy thing of, let's name all of the parables. Do you remember what happened to the parable of the wedding feast? And I have to scratch my head and go, I don't remember that, that one. was the original Wedding Crashers. The, this is this is good. This right? is, you're knowing where I'm going with this. Wedding Crashers. Because the whole first part I'm not even going to really get into. Mm. It's He tells the parable, this is in Matthew 22, about the king that had the extravagant wedding feast for his son. Back in that day, I read up on this. Back in that day, you would have a week-long celebration. The It was an arranged marriage, and the groom and the bride, they would be legally married, but they would separate, so the groom would go get the home ready. He would come back unannounced, and then, the, in this case, the king, either way, the parents, would send out these invitations for the guests to come to this week-long celebration where they were finally joining as one. Mm-hmm. And in this parable, the king sends out the invitations and nobody comes. Mm. The guests don't come. The invited guests. Well, that foreshadowing, not foreshadowing, but the the um, representation is that Israel, God's chosen people, didn't receive Jesus. For I mean, for them, a lot of them didn't. Mm. And so they were the invited guests that didn't show up to the, the chosen feast. people. Yeah, the chosen people. Right. And so later he invites just anybody on the street, anybody. Yeah. And that's us. That's the Gentiles, people not of Jewish descent that now get, get to take part of this because it's for this celebration is for everyone. And so th- then this is the part that started to worry me. So the servants, they went out, they crammed, you know, the banquet hall with people. And the king looked over. He noticed a guest who was not wearing the wedding robe provided for him. So he said, my friend, how is it that you're here and you're not wearing your wedding garment? But the man was speechless. Then the king turned to his servants and said, tie him up. Throw him in the outer darkness where there will be great sorrow with weeping and grinding of teeth. For everyone is invited to enter in, but few respond in excellence. Mm. And that that worried me. So why did it worry you? Because if we're all in this and we're all invited, what do I have to do to make sure that I'm not the guy that gets thrown out? Okay. Well, and we, we know that guy was a wedding crasher. He was a wedding crasher. But everybody's invited, right? So how is, how is that possible? Well, in some way, he is refused to follow what he's been asked to do. You're you're right. you're Be- onto it because if you you receive the invitation and you RSVP and all of that stuff, but you're not following all the rules, there's something keeping you from well, the wedding crasher. I don't know. He got invited on his own. It sounds like the rules is is was what scares me that okay. I believe in Jesus, but I must not be doing enough right. Well, I look this up. And what the context of this is, is that, it, yes, that is a thing that they did wedding garments for everybody. And it was a disrespectful thing to not put on the wedding garment where you were invited. OK, so let's liken it to today. I just mentioned RSVP. You get the invitation mm-hmm. and it clearly says on the, the card RSVP to let us know you're coming. This guy sounds like he didn't RSVP. He may not have. He did he not. not have. So he didn't follow 
the, hey, this is the instructions. You're absolutely welcome. It's going to be an incredible night. Just let us know that you're going to be there. He didn't mark down fish or chicken. And he just shows up. Wait, whoa. Wait, this wasn't done on your strength. This is, you're supposed to follow what I'm asking you to do. And that's the point. The wedding garment represents God's righteousness. The fact that Jesus is who he said he was. He did the work on the cross. And so you look at somebody like this in this parable. It's somebody that is trying to do it in their own strength. Mm. He showed up to church, but he doesn't believe enough to put on the righteousness of God that instead of he knows he's sinful, maybe, but he's trying to clean up his own mess. He thinks he can do it. He's earned his own way. He's he's accomplished himself because he's rich enough in this life and God will love him. Whatever it is that we do, he tried to go in in his own clothing, his own righteousness, which is is just going to fail because we've all screwed up at some point. Mm-hmm. Well, and simply like it said at the end, everybody's invited, but you need to clothe yourself in the righteousness, the garment that I provide you because I'm the one, when you get quote to the gates of heaven and God asks you, why should I let you in? Whether it happens this way or not, that's all what we say. Why should I let you in? Well, I was a good person. I went to church every week. I love my family. Yeah. You also lusted. You also were prideful. You also, so why should I let you in? Well, I gave the charity. No, the answer is because I believe that Jesus is who he said he was. He died on the cross for my sins and he is my quote ticket in these gates. Yeah. And clearly this individual in this parable didn't necessarily believe that. It's interesting because the symbolism here is using outward clothing Mm -hmm. to represent the change when clearly God, he's also allowing you to know through Jesus Christ, it's an inward change. Yes. Because he talks about being two-faced a lot throughout scripture, whether it's, you know, the wolf in sheep's clothing Mm -hmm. or it's the whitewashed tomb with the dead man's bones inside. He calls people out for being hypocrites. So it's very important that the change is on the inside. And so many people are only looking on the outside, Uh, even of the Samaritan or the, the woman at the well, or the woman who was brought and cast before him as the adulterous woman. You know, these are the things that are seen on the outside. Jesus takes a beat, looks at the heart, sees that there is a desire for repentance there. There's something there they want to change because they feel the weight of their burden. They feel the shame or whatever it is that helps bring this them to a place of, not for him a desired place of guilt. He wants them to feel conviction in order for them to move on into a new life. Well, and... and- with that, my worries went away. Yeah. Because you realize, okay, it's the pressure's off, actually. Mm. It's instead of this list of rules when you get in that I might not have followed. No, it's simply understanding that God is bigger than me. Mm. And he set this plan in motion. And I want to get on board with that, which is recognizing that Jesus is his son. I like that it went from a representation of someone who is even trying for you. You were like, well, he's still trying in his own strength. Isn't there merit in that? According to God, no, you just need to let go of, there's even, there's even a little of ego playing in that. Oh, yeah. When I think I can enough. Oh, yeah. No, that's very true. But then there's also the blatant, no, I'm not going to do it your way because I don't think you're the only way. Wouldn't and, that be wouldn't that be the people that didn't show up? That could also yeah. That that I guess that is accurate as well. You know, I think about the new body that we're going to get when we go into this next life, but it's even represented through the things that only touch our skin like the clothing. 
that we have symbolism to show that we're changing. So, for instance, yes, there is the um, there is the vocal demonstration you can even make in church and saying, I am now a believer. And you stand there and say with a crowd of witnesses around you, I am following Jesus. So that's something that you can see on the outside looking in. And then there's the the baptism. That's water on your skin, but we're believing it represents the cleansing away of the old life, the sin. And then when you raise up from that baptism, you're raising into new life because the Holy Spirit is now giving you the opportunity to walk in line with who Jesus is, his spirit. And so there's these very physical things, and I think God is using that symbolically. So if you're reading that passage and you're like, the guy just had the wrong coat? It means more. Mm -hmm. He, He wouldn't put it on. And I like that you're talking about symbolism anyway, because that's where I'm at. I'm in the book of Revelation and the whole thing from top to bottom. And speaking of scary. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I want to, yeah, worry. You were talking about, I had me a little worried. What is worry? It's just, it's a stepchild of, of fear. And there is good fear. It talks about in the scripture, you know, the beginning of wisdom is fear. Mm-hmm. And we just talked with Santa Claus a couple of weeks ago. He came in for a visit and he shared some really incredible insight about when the angel said, fear not. And then they brought good news, glad tidings for all people. But initially there's fear there because what is this, this being from outer space? It's glowing in front of me. I don't know. I've never seen this before. They didn't have Avengers movies back then. And I think about the things that do initially... (gasps) Take us aback while reading that parable. (gasps) I don't fully understand. But if we allow God to invest his wisdom, there is this incredible opportunity to learn more about who he is. And I love his use of pictures, symbolism, so that we can grasp a little bit better the magnitude. Because, I mean, we're just we're just people. And we only have this much, a thimble's worth, if, if that, of capacity for knowledge of who God is. Whereas here is, he's this vast ocean, we've heard it compared. Mm-hmm. Um, so he uses symbols and pictures. That's what we do when we're teaching our children, isn't it? When we're going through shapes and numbers and colors so that they can grasp, grasp imagery and they'll be able to learn. And that's how he does with his children too. And so here we are in the book of Revelation. And uh, yes, he talks about uh, robes, white robes in that book. And John sees this incredible vision on the island of Patmos where he is exiled as a prisoner. Many believe it is the Apostle John. Some pe- people believe because John was a rather was a rather popular name. It could have been someone else further down the road. I did not even. realize that. It could be. But we mostly credit John with, obviously, John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation. Is there one that I'm missing, too? We do credit with all of that. However, it, even 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, there's a lot of people who do believe, for whatever reason— um, theologians who think that, yes, it could have been writing under the name of John. It would have been maybe one of his his uh, students even who wrote. Uh, I thought that was fascinating. I also finished the book of Jude. And I've read this book uh, before, certainly with James being his brother. And I thought, oh, wait, what if that's the same Jude? Just follow me for a second. Jesus, it says in Scripture, had four brothers, James, Joseph, Judas and Simon. Well, there's a lot of Simons in Scripture. There's a lot of Judases in Scripture. There's one in particular that nobody's super fond of. Yep. But Jude is also another name for Judas. And it says in the beginning of that book, I'm the brother of James. Well, who do we believe James to be the brother of? 
Jesus. A couple of brothers in there at the very end uh, of the book. I'm going to say no. You're going to say no? I'm going to say no. Because if I'm the brother of Jesus, I'm going to identify myself as that, yeah. not my other brother. So you don't think you would have you would have said James? So in that regard, if it's- James a, is going to get the shaft if you're all the brother of Jesus. So maybe you don't think that that James that he's referencing is even the one who writes the book of James. We're getting off on a tangent. It's just fascinating to me. So you, all we know is that there's good stuff in there. And it really is encouragement for the church to to stay on track, to not follow false teachers. Mm. It's one of the main points of First and Second Peter, and it just keeps getting revisited over and over again in these final books of the New Testament. And Revelation is the one that really, it has got, I probably the most people have written, a, the most books written about any other book of the Bible. It's got to be the book of Revelation. I'm pretty sure people- People are so fascinated. Yeah, Trying to decode. What does all of this mean? And where are we at in the timeline of the end of the world and yeah. all that? Yeah. Yeah. And was it like Ebenezer Scrooge who sees, you know, Jacob Marley, his long lost partner? Not is, Bob Marley. Not Bob Marley, which I've made that mistake before. Yeah. Wow. How could that have happened? <laughs> but, you know, he sees him as this undigested bit of whatever. Is that what happened to John? Did he just have a, he ate pizza too late one night? He had this vision. It's all deeply rooted in symbolism of uh, pictures that, the people he was talking to would have understood and known. It was um, it was a message that was circulated to seven different churches in the Asian Asia Minor area, seven different churches that all had their own struggle or reality. Some of it apathy. Some of them were faithful. Some of them, there was this one area that was really wealthy. In fact, when there was a major earthquake, they didn't have to get funding from the up and ups in the Roman Empire. They were so wealthy as a community, they were able to pay for everything themselves and rebuilding. Oh, so the River Oaks. And they were <laughs> they were known for their eye medicine, interestingly enough. Eye medicine. And yes, and that even gets referenced in that part of the message to that group of people. It talks about medicine. And, and I think it was referencing symbolically that your eyes be opened, that it, they be healed so you can understand. Wow. And by the way, uh, a friend told me the other day, you know how the Chinese calendar has, this is the year of the pig uh-huh. or the goat. Well, 2020 is the year of the optometrist. Interesting. That's just well, well, that seems to make glasses sense. Glasses right, there. Right, yeah. And you have to uh, read it with one eye covered. That's Yeah. In order to, yeah. okay, these are, we're stopping The font like gets smaller as you read. Okay. What I understood though from the main, the, the main part of Revelation, my favorite, was when it talks about the lamb. Because I've been going through this book and there've been tools that have helped me kind of, uh, discover the symbolism of this book because much of the time I think we read it and we literally think this is a linear time frame. What does this all mean in, in, in even towards the end times for us? And when Jesus is coming back, do I have a code that I need to be decoding? Mm-hmm. And there's this point where John hears about a messianic figure, the one that we have read through or that even I throughout this journey this year of reading the Bible chronologically and going through the prophets, hearing about the one who would conquer the enemies, the one that you think about is this military figure that's going to just take everybody out to lunch. That's a weird expression, but 
Yeah. That's a lunch is a good thing. That sounds good. <laughs> but no, he was going to take them to the, what's the? What's take them to the curb. Step on their the, throat. I don't thank know. You, all of that stuff. Uh, you are a terrible smack talker. I am. <laughs> smack it all. Goodness. You're terrible at calling me out on smack talk. <laughs> so Jesus is that person. We know that when we say yes to Jesus, we are saying, I believe that. But how does that fall in line with what the prophets are saying when their enemy is going to be the footstool of the, mess, the Messiah that? Jesus didn't make people his footstool. He died for them. Mm. So John is hearing about this character. But when he looks, he sees the lamb and he sees it bloodied. And it looks as if it has died before, but has come back to life. And throughout the symbolism in Revelation, we see it's not through the conquering of the enemies through war. It's not, you know, by, you know, taking him to you know, kicking him to the curb, as mm. you say. It is through the laying down of our, our life that people will understand that Jesus, when he conquered the enemy, he conquered sin and death, and that is how he overtook the enemy, by dying for them, by giving them hope. But it's an incredible truth yeah. that John shares in the symbolism. And he even talks about all of the plagues and the things that happen, opening up one after another, almost like a, a Russian nesting doll, that out of... Uh, the seals comes the trumpets. Out of the trumpets come the uh, the bowls that are poured out. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, all of these are very in-depth parts of the book, and you're reading it thinking, what does all of this mean? And it doesn't necessarily mean there's this linear time frame where these things will happen first and that this will happen first. It could almost be in conjunction to, like, one comes out of the other. It's almost like three events happening uh, at the same time simultaneously. It's fascinating. Uh, to to uncover some of the symbolism. Does that mean that we've got now we know exactly how it's going to be? Again, the answer is no, but I do know that he won the battle. It's a done deal, and it's revealed in the first parts of the book in showing us that it is the lamb because we know he died. We know he rose again. We see him as victorious in that moment because he's conquered the bad stuff. It's all of the stuff that follows that kind of gets a little scary because you're like, I don't know exactly what this means. And you're reminded all throughout this book that there is a place for us with Jesus because of his death, because of his resurrection. And so yeah. there's tremendous hope in that. Well, like they got caught up then that it was going to be this military figure that would overtake the Roman Empire and Jesus or whoever it was going to be, even, you know, when they were hoping before, like they get caught up in that. I think a lot of the time we get caught up in when's the end of the world. Mm. And instead of letting God use us each and every day to bring heaven to earth, mm -hmm. it's, I mean, we can at least. I've done it. I think we've, I've been around people who have done it that we just think, well, I'm just waiting to punch my ticket. When's that rapture happening? Or when am I dying? And when am I going to heaven? And how many years is it until Jesus is going to come back? And we kind of waste our time in, in some in some regard of, of trying to predict when it's going to happen. I remember I was in uh, sixth grade when 9-11 happened. And, you know, my Sunday school, and he's a, a very godly man, don't get me wrong, but he said, guys, it looks like it's going to be soon. Mm -hmm. Well, how many years ago was that? Yeah. You know, and that's still and I know it's just, you know, 19 or 20 years is short compared to the time of, of you know this the history of the earth. But it, it's still like we I've had ample days in that time to truly like what you're talking about, the lamb that died for us to yes. be able to tell the world about that. Yes. And that's 
that's the main thing, keeping the main thing the main thing. Mm -hmm. And yes, everybody is allowed to have their theory and their quiet time and, and try to uncover, Lord, what does this mean for us currently? But it is fascinating through the symbolism of the Old Testament that reoccurs in Revelation. You are able to see how John would have brought up symbolism that was very understandable, very relatable to the time specifically, uh, so that they would know this is another Babylon-type situation. We're finding ourselves once again being oppressed. How much longer will it last? And even in through further symbolism, they some people think that it's very, well, this is linearly what it's going to look like. Others say that this is a representation of a cycle that keeps happening hmm. over and over again. We saw it in Babylon. We're seeing it again in the Roman Empire, an oppression of people. The difference being now Jesus has come. Yeah. And we are saved through him. Yes, there is a time frame where the people ask the followers of Jesus, how much longer are we going to have to deal with this? And there is a time frame where, yes, we may have to endure and will endure persecution. It says, behold, in this world, you will have tribulation. But Jesus's reminder at the book, the very end of Matthew, the book that you were referencing earlier, is I have overcome the world. And in Revelation, we see how he did that. It was by the blood of the lamb. And we can get on board with helping by the, the witness. We have the blood of the lamb and the witness of our testimony hmm. in standing behind that lamb and choosing to do what he did in serving others, in loving well, and laying down our life, as it were, for people in that service. I've realized more lately that laying down my life means not getting my way. Yes. A lot of the time. And there's certainly, we, we saw the headline Christmas Day that there was a slaughtering of Christians. There are people around this world that are still being martyred mm -hmm. in a very real physical sense. Absolutely. In the United States, it's not so much our lives are being taken away from us in an instant. We are having to daily, because we live in a very different set of circumstances with this country. It's not a third world country situation. Yes, there's terrorism, but it, it's different here. We find that daily there's an opportunity to lay down our lives and pick up our cross and follow after Christ. Well, I think it's just, I, I and I kind of said that in the moment, I, I, I think I'm going to stand behind that and it's a sliding scale, not getting my way. The extreme, actually losing my life, the the less than, um, I, I don't, getting cut off in traffic. There's probably something even less than that. You know, mm -hmm. my pen running out of ink. I don't know. Yeah. Of just continually Where is my shoe? putting others first. <laughs> and, and yeah, exactly. The little things like that to realize that there is a bigger picture. And like you said, keeping the main thing, the main thing. Yeah. So I think if anything, I, I received out of that final, final book, um, just keeping my eyes on Jesus. It's one of my absolute favorite verses. And he tells it, to, he promises. It's not just like, I'm going to tell you about this. These are promises that God, the king of the universe, the one who created everything, without him, there is nothing, nothing. His promise, so he doesn't go back on his word. We yeah. can take him at his word because his word came in the flesh, it says, in John chapter one, it was made manifest. So if Jesus was a thing, we know he was a thing. There are historical data to prove that he's a thing. If we can even just from that one person, know that God keeps his word. Then all the other promises that are in scripture, we can take him at his word. And he says that if you seek me first, if you seek first the kingdom of heaven, all of these things will be added. Do not be afraid. And do you know why? Because Jesus is your friend. Please don't play the song. And I don't take that lightly. Please don't play Because the song. I really love that he is my friend. But you don't have to play the song. Don't play the song. Oh. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. 
I have a friend in Jesus. Reason why I don't want you to play it, I know the words. Oh. This is probably a bad time to say, would you leave us a nice review <laughs> of the podcast? Uh, and I'm, I'm being serious of a five star on the podcast app on iTunes or Apple or whatever uh, uh, comment of people. The more that there's that kind of accumulation of clicks, people will maybe hear about Jesus yeah. for the first time, even maybe through this song. Yeah, maybe. You know, what's interesting, too, is that if you listen to this podcast today, and you're like, I'm not down with everything you said. Oh, I hope not. I hope that there's times where you pick and choose and go, Yeah, I want to look this up for myself and see what they're talking about. We're not the gospel for sure. But we know the one who knows it all. So we lean on that.